The Sloss Sports Show on Anchor.fm, weekly episodes highlighting and breaking down the biggest stories across sports. Make sure to keep up with the latest episodes and breaking news on Twitter by following at Sloss Sports Show and keep up to date with the latest breaking news around the NFL. The official site of the show, knoble87.wixsite.com slash Sloss Sports Report. And now, here's your host, Cole Noble. to the Slaw Sports Show. I'm your host, Cole Noble, a.k.a. Slaw. And today we are here for the Slaw Sports Show. Um, it is Friday, it is 10 o'clock, and we're back here for yet another episode. So thank you all for joining on today's show, and thank you for listening. Thank you for those tuning in on YouTube as well. And today we got a jam-packed episode uh, featuring special guest Gray Oz, who will be joining um, here after our first break when we come in to the second half of today's show. Uh, but today we're gonna be covering a lot of things. Um, we got a lot to talk about in the NBA, um, some things to talk about in the NFL, the MLB as well. And of course, tomorrow night, we have a UFC fight night um, going down as well. So a lot of things to talk about. And like I said, Gray will be joining us for the second part of the episode to talk about uh, some things going down in the NBA. But to start it off, and like we always do here on the Slaw Sports Show, we always begin with Slaw's main card pick'em of the week in the UFC. We have a four and four record, and we have want, we're wanting to improve that record going forward. Um, so we took a break last week. Uh, we didn't have a UFC fight night, but we have one now tomorrow night that has been officially set because Kevin Holland has signed on to go up against Marvin. Vittori. So I'm excited. Uh, we finally got a fight night back in and a chance to go either positive or negative with our records. So let's go ahead and look at this fight. So it's a middleweight bout um, here between Holland and Vittori. And Holland, if you remember and you've been on the show for a while, we talked about Holland three weeks ago because Kevin Holland fought 21 days ago tomorrow against Derek Brunson and now has a chance to... Um, Tie the UFC record for 21 days since having a main card. Uh, so back-to-back -back main cards in, within 21 days. So there's a lot to talk about here uh, but with Kevin Holland. Last time we saw him against Brunson, um, he went five rounds and ended up losing in a unanimous decision. It was a bad fight all, all around, I would say, uh, for Kevin Holland. A lot of people were questioning his mental approach to the fight. Um, especially during toward the end of the fight and a lot of people were kind of wondering it seemed like Kevin Holland just decided to give up um, in that fight but he's here now to make a statement to the UFC and to the fans that uh, he didn't give up and he's here to here to go again and he's gonna be going up against Marvin Vittori so this fight was originally scheduled to go against Darren Till until he got injured and decided to pull out of the fight so that's how we have Kevin Holland back here in the octagon tomorrow night and so let's look at the tail of the tape for both sides uh so kevin holland he is 21 and 6 in his ufc career and has a he had a four and four uh record uh one four or excuse me one four straight fights um going in to that brunson fight um and you know end up losing that once now back here um on a losing streak going in here against uh vittori and then on the other side for vittori he is 16 three and one in his career um, so this one's going to be an interesting one. Vittori, I'm glad to see him get a fight. 
Um, in 2020, he had three fights get changed, all out of his control. Uh, so seeing him back in is going to be fun to watch. The guy who has won four of his last five matches, the last time he lost was to Israel Adesanya back in 2018. So seeing him come back in the octagon and take on um, Kevin Holland is going to be fun to watch. So let's get into it deeper here um, now in this fight. So Kevin Holland is going to be the underdog tomorrow night. And you look at the stats that he's had, you know, when he's in the octagon, 59.4% of his significant strikes he lands. Um, that is the best in the middleweight division, middleweight class in the UFC. But you look on the other side with Marvin Vittori, 66.4 defense against significant strikes. So we're going up against an immovable object and an unstoppable force when you talk about landing significant strikes between these two fighters. Uh, so this one would be interesting to see what you know kind of goes down. And again, that 66.4 defense um, against significant strikes is the best among 185 pounders for Vittori. So he's got the defense side going up against him, but the offensive side, of course, is going to be Kevin Holland. And you know, you look back uh, now at some other fights, of course, we already talked about Brunson going up against uh, Kevin Holland in his last fight. What about Marvin Vittori? His last fight, he went up against Jack uh, Hermanson. And in that fight, was incredible. Uh, he landed 164 significant strikes in five rounds, which set a UFC middleweight record in his last fight. So while the offense is there for Kevin Holland, it's also there for Vittori, and he has that defensive side going with him as well. And again, this is a big fight, um, in my opinion, for Vittori. Um, you talk about you know how Kevin Holland lost in the unanimous decision um, in five rounds against Derek Brunson th just three weeks ago. Derek Brunson's the number four ranked fighter in his class, and it's going to be a convincing, a convincing win here. For Vittori could be huge um, in the entire UFC, especially in the middleweight division, because you know how he, um, how Kevin Holland went to the decision against the number four ranked fighter in the in the class. If we can, if Vittori can get a good win here tomorrow night, and you know an easy handedly win against Kevin Holland. That says a lot about him going forward um, in the sport and, you know, in this weight class. So that's that's the kind of way I'm, I'm leaning towards here. Um, just a statement win is what Vittori needs. And on the flip side, Kevin Holland, he fought just 21 days ago. So when I look at this and, you know, I lean towards the slaw pick him of the week for this fight, I'm leaning towards Vittori, um, you know, after what I've seen from Holland, and yes, he's got the better record. Yes, he's been a more proven fighter in the octagon. But in my opinion, I'm going to take the guy who's favored in tomorrow's fight, and I'm going to go with Vittori by decision or by submission. Um, and because Vittori is just capable of striking. Um, he's capable, of, you know, we saw that, the 164 significant strikes against Hermanson. And I think we're going to see it tomorrow night, of course, against Kevin Holland as well. And... Just he's capable of striking him down, and that's something that really struggled uh, for Kevin Holland when he took on Brunson was getting knocked down and really just got dominated on the ground against Derek Brunson in every single round he lost um, in that fight. And the big part of it was those takedowns. And for Vittori, the fact he can strike him down and also the fact that he's an elite grappler, an elite ground control fighter when he gets a guy down and just I don't see Holland 
you know, his strong suit has been the significant strikes, and I don't see him landing those strikes against Vittori tomorrow night. So it's just going to come down to, can Vittori get him on the ground, and can he do work once he gets him there? And like I said, that's what Brunson did three weeks ago against Holland. I think that's what Vittori is going to do tomorrow night. And if Brunson can take down Holland easily as he did, put him on the ground and dominate him on the ground like he did, I don't think Kevin Holland can fix that here in only three weeks. You know, that's a thing that takes years to come back from and to figure out how to get better at. And in my opinion, I I don't think that's going to be the case for Kevin Holland. So for Slaw's main card, pick him of the week. Again, a 4-4 four and four record. Give me Marvin Vittori, again, by decision or by submission um, in this fight. That's going to be my pick. And we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back on the Slaw Sports Show, we'll be welcoming in our guest to the show and uh, talk about some NBA things to get started. But again, just want to start out with Slaw's main card, pick him of the week. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back here on the Slaw Sports Show. Welcome back here to the Slaw Sports Show. Again, I'm your host, Cole Noble, a.k.a. Slaw. And now we're going to be welcoming in our guest on the show today, and we have Gray Ost, friend, uh, classmate, Lover of sports all around, so welcoming in Gray Oss to the show. You also forgot a very handsome. Yes, Gray Oss also very handsome as well. So Gray, uh, what I want to talk about today on the show is going to be starting off with Aaron Rodgers. The new host of Jeopardy just finished his first full week as the host of Jeopardy. And the question on everyone's mind right now, is Aaron Rodgers going to be the host of Jeopardy full-time, or is Aaron Rodgers going to be a full-time NFL quarterback for the Green Bay Packers? I mean, I, I know that you don't want to hear this, but Aaron Rodgers will have a life after football, and, you know, maybe he wants to be started on that. Specifically, you know, with the host of Jeopardy, he's already made his money, and I specifically think that Jeopardy is a good outlet for him. I mean, if he wants to do it now, that's, that's, that's going to be pretty tough to do because he still is the Yeah, and I mean, Aaron Rodgers talked about it, you know, on his uh, partner's uh, Instagram live video, but he talked about it. It's possible uh, for Aaron Rodgers. He said, you know, during the offseason, he could have plenty of time to fly out to L.A., record, you know, the full, um, you know, season's worth of Jeopardy, and he can, you know, make it work um, going forward, um, being a quarterback and being the full-time host of Jeopardy. So that's obviously in the cards, I think, is being able to do both and something I want to see um, going forward, in my opinion. Uh, but, I mean, the big question on everyone's mind right now with Aaron Rodgers, it's not Jeopardy, um, but it definitely is his future and obviously the future with the Green Bay Packers. And that's something that is going to be a lot of talk here going into this season, um, the MVP of the league last year. And, you know, of course, the big talk is Jordan Love. 
um, the quarterback that got drafted in the first round last year by the Green Bay Packers, who's a you know set to be the heir apparent um, as the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. So it's something I'm interested to see this dynamic of how it works out with the future with the Packers. Rodgers, no guaranteed money um, into this year. They still off, this offseason have yet to restructure his contract, giving him that guaranteed money. So I'm I'm concerned as a Packers fan of what's going to happen with our future um, with Aaron Rodgers. Does he stay or does he go? Uh, but I think if he leaves and when he retires, he does have this home with Jeopardy. Definitely, he definitely does have a future, I'd say. In Jeopardy, I mean, again, if you want to go out, I mean, you're retired at 38. So I think that, I mean, he's, he's got his future ahead of him. He's rec he's recently got a wife, doesn't he? He's got a, he's got a wife now. Yeah, he's with a fiancé. I mean, yeah, he's got a fiancé. I think, I think he can make it work, Jeopardy, full-time. But, you know, we'll see, we'll see. And so the next thing is the Masters. That's the big thing going on right now before we get to uh, the rest of what we want to talk about. The Masters is happening live. Um, we saw the first day on Thursday, second day today, and the, the cuts are coming. But today we saw something interesting, Gray, and Siwoo Kim on hole 14 coming down, broke his putter. Uh, or, well, didn't come down, but putting, missed a, missed a putt, and frustration came down and broke the putter. So let's get the story right. Came down, broke his putter on hole 14, had to play out the last four holes, putting with his three wood. And just, we, I mean, we've seen it before, but it was just great to see it again here with Siwoo Kim. And he finished three under par on the day while playing those last four holes with a three wood. Again, let's break that down. That's not like you're chipping with a five iron or you're, you know, you're putting with a sandwich or something like that. That is a three wood. That is something you take off the tee box. But I mean, he's, he's, in, he's in great position. He's tied for six. He was three under on the day. He's four under total. He's only three shots off the lead and he couldn't switch the putter, but now he can go back and get another putter. But I mean, think about it. You know, if he makes that putt, maybe he's five under. And so maybe he's, you know, tied for fourth along with Leshman and Spieth. But I mean, Kim, definitely getting it done. Getting it done. I mean, you got to respect the tenacity, you know, just breaking just breaking the putter. You got to love it. Will he catch Justin Rose? No one's caught him for two days. That, that, that's the main question, really, whether he's going to catch him or really anybody else. It's, da it's down to a one-stroke one lead, but Justin Rose, the definitive favorite after two days. Yeah, and, you know, Justin Rose in a good spot right now going into the final two days of the Masters, and George Speed is trying to catch up to him, um, but it's looking like, you know, Rose has got a commanding spot right now going into the weekend. We'll see how he can hold up with that going forward uh, through the rest of the tournament. And, again, just the frustration with Kim. Those of us who golf, we get it. We know that we know your frustration. We understand the frustration. And, you know, I haven't got around to breaking a putter yet, but a couple more, couple more bad shots on the green, a couple more three putts, we could get to that point. So now, Gray, let's move on from the Masters, move on from Aaron Rodgers and Jeopardy, and go to the NBA. And this is something that you know we plan on talking about on one-on-one -on -one sports. Unfortunately, uh, got canceled this week. But now here on the Saw Sports Show, we'll bring it back up. And in the NBA world and on ESPN this week, we saw an article come out, the top 25 players based on potential under the age of 25. And on this list, we saw guys, of course, like Luka Doncic, Zion Williamson, LaMelo Ball, Lonzo Ball even. And three of the Phoenix Suns players, and Gray as a Phoenix Suns player, we saw DeAndre Ayton at 20, we saw Bridges at 17, 
and Devin Booker at eight. What's going on with that? I'm going to get on my soapbox here, so if you'll just hand me this microphone. Devin Booker at eight. Okay, okay. Two-time All-Star. He will be All-NBA this year. He should be in the MVP conversation. Where is he? I don't know. Maybe he has a geography bias or something like that. But he's eight in here. Let me just read you how ludicrous this is. And, and ESPN's trying to save themselves from shooting themselves in the foot by saying, ranking young stars by future potential. Really? You're saying that LaMelo Ball is going to be that much better than here. Let, let's read who's after LaMelo Ball. Let's see if these names ring a bell to you. Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons, and Devin Booker. Four of those five players have been all-stars. Devin Booker is a multiple-time all-star. Ben Simmons, multiple-time all-star. Jason Tatum is the face of the Celtics, who are a top-three team in the East. And Donovan Mitchell, who should also be in the MVP race. This is, this is baffling to me that Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker just complete disrespect on their heads right now. And you're saying, again, LaMelo Ball, he's a great young talent. He could win Rookie of the Year if he had not you know, broken his wrist and being on the sidelines for the rest of the year. Because Charlotte's, you know, they're going to be a playoff team and he's going to win rookie of the year, or he would have run rookie of the year, but Anthony Edwards is probably going to run, run away with that award. But again, just the disrespect on Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker specifically. What else does Devin Booker have to do? There was a three-game stretch during these last two weeks where he was averaging over 30 points a game, over five rebounds, and over four assists a game. His team is the second best in the Western Conference and just beat the Utah Jazz, who have the best record in the NBA. Suns, again, people, people laughed at us. This is also a Suns soapbox. They laughed at us, okay? Now, we're second in the NBA thanks to, you know, who also should be in the MVP conversation, a man by the name of Chris Paul, who basically turns, you know, water into wine wherever he goes. And then, okay, here, another tangent right here. Another, another, another tangent with this ludicrousy of a list. You're telling me that Michael Porter Jr., Okay, Michael Porter Jr., right? He has barely played in his NBA career. He played his first NBA action in the bubble last season. You're telling me that he has a better future than John Morant, who won Rookie of the Year last year and is one of the top 10 point guards in the NBA, in my opinion. Oh, look, there's another great point guard named Trey Young, who has also been an all-star that Michael Porter Jr. is ahead of. And like we said, Mikhail Bridges, who is a very sneaky good 3 and D player. Oh, another name, DeMontis Sabonis, who I, I believe was another all-star this year. And then there's Anthony Edwards again. I, I can't call, okay, I can, ex I can accept Anthony Edwards being at 19. I think he'll be a yeah. great player. Not with the Timberwolves, but I think he'll be a great player. DeAndre Ayton, again, mad disrespect. He's averaging, uh, like like this article says, he's averaging a career low 14.5 points per game, but he's only shooting 10 shots a game, and half of those are alley-oops from Chris Paul. And he's shooting over 60% from the field, and he's averaging a double-double. And has a career-high 115.8 offensive rating. So he's not taking bad shots. Very efficient shots and scoring, and he's playing his role. Again, tremendously underrated. Tyler Harburton having a phenomenal rookie season, dropped down to 12th in the draft. So... I can, I, I can respect him being on this list, being this low. John Collins, still getting major disrespect. Colin Sexton, major disrespect as well. And it's just, I can understand if you want to talk about future potential, but don't take age so much in this, because we don't know what could happen. I say take the proven guys at the top of your list who have the potential to, you know, like be MVPs or All-NBA or All-Stars, because again, Brandon Ingram was 11th. He was an All-Star. Jalen Brown, All-Star. Jamal Murray, All-Star. Those guys are all not in the top 10. 
when you have players like De'Aaron Fox, who is very good, and I, 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 bite, I bite my tongue on this, he's very good, but he plays for the Kings. Yeah. Okay. He, he get, he's getting no love, which, you know, is kind of warranted because he's not going to play for a winner. And so as soon as he gets out of Sacramento, he'll get a little more respect. But again, Jason Tatum, he's only 23. Mm-hmm. And I, I can respect Zion being at number two, but I, I just don't see him having that successful in NBA career. He's playing great right now in his first two years, but a man that big cannot yeah. jump high for that long. Yeah, that, a guy like Zion, the way he's built, the way he plays, it's not sustainable. And so this whole list is about potential over the player, not how they are right now. So Zion Williamson, that, you know, I can see you know, the issues there with him being at two because, again, how long, what's the longevity of this guy's career going to be going forward um, in the NBA? So if you had to rework, say, the top five, what would that look like? And then I'll give my takes on my top five. Okay, so... I'm I'm a little more of an elder bias because again players like Zion who's not even 21 yet Lamelo Ball is not even 20 he's still a teenager I still don't give them that high of a ranking I think Zion's in the top 10 but he's not number two Lamelo Ball needs to be in that teen range because again we've only seen him for half a season and he didn't start specifically at the beginning of the season then he came into that starting lineup and played very well but so I think he goes you know near the teens but if I was to rework it based on, you know, futures in the NBA, I still think you take Luka Doncic number one because he's in the MVP conversation. He was last year, and he is this year. You know, he's averaging almost 29 points a game, eight rebounds, and almost nine assists. Yeah. So I definitely think Luka Doncic deserves to be at the top of this list. And then number two, I'm going to go Jason Tatum mm-hmm. because Jason Tatum is the face of the Boston Celtics. He's going to be an all-NBA player again. Again, multiple-time All-Star. I think is the potential to be in that MVP conversation if he can keep working it. You know, if the Celtics, if the Celtics had another piece, maybe he would be a little bit higher because he could have that you know NBA champion on his chest. But I think I think I'd put Tatum at number two. And I gotta say, number three, I'm gonna go Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is an amazing player and still gets mad disrespect. The the, the Jazz and the Suns are still getting mad disrespect for no reason. They have the two best records in the NBA. They're most likely going to be the one and two seeds in the Western Conference. And so I think you give Donovan Mitchell, I think you give him that three spot mm-hmm. because he's having a phenomenal season. He's the best scorer, the best player on the best team in the NBA, and he's still less than 25 years old. Yep, preach so, it to him, Greg, preach it to him. Thank you. And so I put Donovan Mitchell at three. At number four, I'm going to go Devin Booker, and that's not yep. Suns biased or anything like that. I think Devin Booker is legitimately a top 15 player in the NBA because he's just – been consistent for so long i i read a stat the other day and it was players who averaged 25 5 and 5 and i believe it was 25 5 and 5 and they were less than 23 and there were three names on the list and devin booker and it was tracy mcgrady lebron james and michael jordan and so devin booker is already in elite company and so i think that because the suns are a lot better he should be higher on this list because he's again the best player on the second best team in the NBA right now. And number five to round the list, I got to go Ben Simmons. Oh. I think if he had a jump shot, he'd be a little bit higher. But again, one of the best players on the best team, I think he's five because he's not the best player on his team right now. That's obviously Joel Embiid, who yeah. could, who's still, I think, in the MVP conversation. But 
I do think Ben Simmons is a fantastic player. He's basically what we thought the future of the NBA was going to be with, you know, the big guard, you know, 6'10 point guards, you know, dunking everywhere. And if he had a jump shot, again, he'd be higher and the 76ers would probably be better. But he needs to work on his defense, I think. Again, he's still got potential. He's, yeah. still, under tw- he's still under 25 years old. And so I definitely think Ben Simmons should be number five on my list. And if I was to do, like, maybe a 5A or, like, maybe, like, a 6, if you'd let me, I'd probably go Brandon Ingram. Because Brandon okay. Ingram, since he has gotten to New Orleans, has been fantastic. Again, all-star. And he still hasn't turned 24 yet. So Brandon Ingram still has all that room to grow. Yeah. Okay, so when I look at my top five, and, you know, I've reworked it here, um, just looking at it. But number one, I agree with you. you got to go Luka Doncic. A guy who last year was in the MVP conversations, you know, before the, league, the year started, he was the Vegas favorite to win the MVP this year. And he's got, you know, 28.6 points per game right now, just leading the Dallas Mavericks again, um, you know, like he's been doing since he came into the league, basically. 48.8% from the field, 37.1% from three. You know, some of the best numbers he's had in his career. This guy's in line for probably an over $200 million extension this offseason with the Dallas Mavericks. So I think he's an easy pick to be uh, number one, you know, players with the most potential. Number two, I got to give it to Donovan Mitchell. Um, with the Utah Jazz, just again what he's doing, he's like like you said with Devin Booker, same thing with Donovan Mitchell, leading scorer on the best team in the NBA right now, and it's looking like his career is just going to keep going up. And the way the you know the Jazz are playing right now, they're looking like a team that you know like you said could be number one in the Western Conference this year and keep things rolling uh, for years to come and just build this team over there in Utah. And you know he's also shooting career high numbers right now, 40% on his three pointers. So far this season, so you know, year after year, he's getting better as well. Number three, I'll go with your guy Devin Booker uh, from the Phoenix Suns. I'm a, I'm really high on him. I'm like a lot of people. Um, no, because no one is high on Devin Booker or the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, no, no one's high on Devin Booker, but I'm I'm high. I'm, I'll put him at three. The guy's scored 30 plus in th- uh, 13 straight games, so he, he's efficient. He's consistent. And at that young of an age, those two things, just efficiency and consistency is what makes you great in this league. So he's going to continue doing that. Um, he's got 109.2 defensive rating right now this season, second best in his career. He's just continuing to be great uh, going forward. And number four, I guess I'll go Jason Tatum. It's a guy that I'm not too high on compared to a lot of people. But Jason Tatum... He, he does it all for Boston. He is the guy there, um, 30% usage rate on offense, scoring 25 points per game. And when you look at his numbers through his career so far, he's taken every step forward. This guy's yet to take a step back in his young career, and he's moving things along in the right direction. And at number five, it's, I mean, a guy we just talked about, but I think if it's sustainable, Zion Williamson is going to have a great career. So... If it's sustained, excuse me, through his whole career, I would say give me Zion Williamson as a top five player under 25 um, in terms of potential if he can keep things rolling. Um, the guy's just, so far he had zero games in March under 20 points, and his first game under 20 points came the last game um, against the Brooklyn Nets um, back on Wednesday. He scored 16 in that one, but the way, the way he is, the way how dominant he plays, if it's sustained, it's going to be great. And it's going to be fun to watch. But I also like your other pick on the same team with Brandon Ingram. Um, I think that would be my sixth pick. 
um, to come in potentially at the top five as well. And, and you know, I, I, I give Zion Williamson some flack, and then he goes out and um, beats the best team in the Eastern Conference and drops 37, 15, and 8. Yeah. So, I mean, if he had a little bit of a jump shot, which apparently he's proving that he doesn't need, he's probably the only player at his position who doesn't need a jump shot. But, you know, Zion, if he can hold it up, more power to him. But I just don't think he can. And if you're going on potential, I could see that in his future to where he just kind of falls off the table a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And that's this ESPN list. I mean, these guys are experts. Taking this list? No. 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 They, can, they cannot. They're all in the top three. No. And again, no. They, they're putting too much into age and about how, how much you can grow yeah. over a season. Again, I can understand that if you want to put potential ahead of what they've done in the past, but they did it far too much. So I think, I think John Collins is getting a little bit of a disrespect here, and that's not me, you know, with the Wake Forest bias or whatever. But John Collins is still 23, and he's averaged basically 20 points and 8 to 9 rebounds his entire career. And I think if he gets out of Atlanta, he's going to have a lot more success because Clint Capello has basically taken up four of his rebounds and a few of his points. So I think John Collins has a lot of room to grow. I don't know why Lonzo Ball is on this list. I can see why LaMelo Ball is on it. I don't know why Lonzo Ball is on this list. He's shooting a lot better from three, but what else has he done? He hasn't done anything significant this season. Yeah, and he's act as he showed growth year after year, and to me, with potential with young guys, you want to see continued growth year after year. I'm not saying I, I, I don't see it. Also, hasn't done that. He's only averaging 14 points a game, four rebounds, five assists. Yeah. No. 94th per in the NBA, which, I mean, is he in a better spot than he was in LA? Yes, but I just don't think he can get it done. I think he's gonna get outshined by his brother yeah. because his brother in his rookie year is putting up better numbers than Lonzo. So I definitely think Lamella Ball is the better brother, and I don't think Lonzo should be on this list. But again, what do I know? These are these are the experts. What what do we know? And I also think another underrated player that was ranked too low in my opinion on this list is Trey Young with the Atlanta Hawks because he's shown growth. He's shown the potential. And looking at what the Hawks are doing right now this season, going in line for a playoff, couldn't even get a playoff win this year. Um, and Trey Young has been a huge part of that. He's been the focal point of this team and. If they continue to sustain success and you know keep having off seasons like they did this past off season, bringing in the talent they need surrounding Trey Young, he's gonna be a lot higher on this list than they have him right now. And especially because the Hawks are getting a lot better. The Hawks are playing so well right now. Recently beating the Bulls, I think it was either today or it was yesterday. But he put up forty-two, eight, nine, and they've won four of their last five games against some pretty good competition. And so I think you know Trey Young averaging twenty-five points a game. That's top twenty in the NBA. Nine point five assists. That's third. And he's 22nd in PER. He's one of the best all-around players. And the argument that could be made with him is he's better than the 16th best player in the NBA, not just under 25 on future potential. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm guessing how they did the list was, if you can go one, two, three, those are future MVPs in the league. That's what I'm saying, which is why I think they put, you know, Dodges higher because he's going to get an MVP faster. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they basically just lumped in all the All-Stars under 25 from 4 to about 9. They just said, here, here's the All-Stars that we've seen pretty productive and still have room to grow. Yeah. And so I don't agree with it. I think that we should basically go with my list because I am awesome. But, you know, 
Also, Bam on a bio having a great season for the Heat as well. Just got just got to put that in there. Yeah, and, you know, he's a guy that. I mean, I thought they had him right. Pretty. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's pretty fair. He's in a great spot uh, for what he's done and his potential going forward. So you look at the standings um, in the NBA as a whole, and we'll, you know, we'll segue out of this, you know, debate because we can go on and on about this one with this bogus. With this bogus, bogus garbage. ESPN ranking, yeah. So looking at the standings in the NBA. Uh, we'll start with the Eastern Conference and just top five for each conference. But the Brooklyn Nets still leading the way. 76ers coming up behind them. And then the Milwaukee Bucks, Charlotte Hornets still at four. And the Atlanta Hawks at five. And the Hawks I just talked about. So the Brooklyn Nets, you know, everyone's talked about them. The, you know, the big. They're the, they're the monster. They're the monsters. Yeah. They're building the super team right now. And. Yeah, rightfully so, they're sitting in first place in the Eastern Conference. So looking you know, throughout the rest of the season, which team's going to stand out and challenge the Brooklyn Nets out of the Eastern Conference? I know you want me to say the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, great. You can say it. I'm not going to say the Milwaukee oh, Bucks. The Bucks can't win on the road. I mean, this is that's been the problem for them the past two seasons besides Giannis not still having a jump shot and basically the team's center basically posting up 15 feet away from him. <laughs> but the Bucks are only 14-12 and 12 on the road, and that's how – that's how I judge teams based on how far they can go in the playoffs is if they can win those tough games on the road. And so far, the Bucks have not done that. Mm-hmm. And with the Eastern Conference as a whole, it's a three-team race right now. It's the Nets, the Sixers, and the Bucks. So if it ain't the Bucks, it's going to be the Sixers because the Brooklyn Nets have a glaring flaw, and it's called interior defense. Yeah. DeAndre Jordan is not as good as he once was. Again, he is a former All-Star. Blake Griffin. Not who he was, you know, five years ago. Same thing with LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge, at the end of his Trailblazers career and at the end of his Spurs career, was a definitive all-star and all-NBA player. He's not that anymore. So he's a big name, but he's still going to come off the bench for you. And so, I mean, he's going to give you good production, but don't expect him to, you know, be great. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely think it's going to be the Philadelphia 76ers, specifically when they get Joel Embiid back to where he was before he got hurt. Oh yeah. And he's only he's only he's only one game out. He's only they're only one game out behind the Brooklyn Nets right now. Yeah. But I mean if you look at what he did to the Celtics, the Celtics also don't have any interior defense and he dropped 35 on them in a 10 point win. And so I definitely think that if the Sixers can play their cards right, they could end up with that number 1 seed specifically because again, they're only a game behind the Nets. And there's, and there's only about, you know, I'd say 15, 20 games left in the season. And they have a pretty easy road because, yeah. you know, they're going to play the Thunder. They're going to play Dallas. I mean, granted, they're going to play Brooklyn and Milwaukee. But other than that, no one on their you, – you could argue that no one on their schedule is better than they are. And so I think that the 76ers have a legitimate shot. But ever since Kawhi hit that shot, you know, in the playoffs in Game 7, it hasn't – they haven't been the same. But I think definitely Philly could challenge the Nets. Yeah, and, and you, know, you look at the drop-off after these top three teams, the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Nets. It's ugly. It's ugly. I mean, the Bucks at 32-19, and 19, then it drops to 26-24 and 24 to the Charlotte Hornets in the Eastern Conference. So it is between these three teams, and I'd have to agree with you. The Sixers have what it takes, or has what it takes to exploit that weakness um, inside against the Brooklyn Nets, and if there's a team that can challenge them. Unfortunately, it won't be the Milwaukee Bucks. It would have to be the 76ers. But for the Western Conference, and it's where things get interesting with our Phoenix Suns super fan. Woo-hoo! But leading the way is the Utah Jazz, followed by the Phoenix Suns, you know, right on their heels, heating up at the right time again. And then the LA Clippers, 
the Denver Nuggets, and trying to survive right now is the LA Lakers at five. And you know how's how's it looking right now in the Western Conference and Suns bias included aside. What are we looking here? Who's going to challenge the Utah Jazz right now? Well, again, I think you took the words right out of my mouth. It's going to be the Suns because the Suns are the best. They're the best road team in the NBA, and the Jazz are the best home team. And so it's a very interesting playoff matchup if it gets that far. But because you don't want me to say the Phoenix Suns because I could go on for days about them, <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, I got to say the LA Clippers. The LA Clippers okay. are better than the Lakers right now. But, again, once AD and LeBron come back, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah, but right now, sure. as it stands, it would be the L.A. Clippers because they have Paul George, and Paul George got a ton of flack last year for how he played in the bubble, which was just underwhelming to say the least. Mm-hmm. But he played fantastic last night against the Suns, dropping over 30 points. You have Kawhi Leonard, who is still, I think, the best defensive player in the NBA. Yeah, they sure. have muscle down low. And so I just definitely think that the Clippers could get it done because, I mean, they just signed DeMarcus Cousins as well. And so DeMarcus Cousins gives you some, you know, gives you some oomph off the bench, if you will. They have Serge Ibaka, who was a member of a championship team. Ibaka Zubac as well gives you some stuff down low. And then you've got the Morris, and you've got Marcus Morris at power forward as well as Nick Batum. So you have lanky defenders, basically who can get buckets and that length is going to provide a challenge to the Utah Jazz because you have Rudy Gobert who's going to give you stuff inside but he's not going to be a guy that's going to post you up and uh, you know, give you a dream shake or two and you have wing defenders like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Morris who can defend on the wing if you stick a 6'8 Paul George or a 6'8 Kawhi Leonard on a 6'4 Donovan Mitchell that's just a big problem for them and no one really for the Jazz besides Mitchell can straight up just go get a bucket yeah i'd have to agree with you there and i think the big thing out of the western conference is going to be the return of anthony davis and lebron james of course and can the lakers survive until then that's just going to be you know, have to be have to wait to see um with that one but i'm liking the suns uh, they're heating up as you should uh, like the suns up. more people should like the like the suns um but we're going to segue here now out of the nba gray and go over to the MLB because we've had you know full over a full week now of baseball. Baseball is continuing. Shohei Otani still mashing home runs um, and you know mashing yeah home runs. Mike Trout coming in right behind him still hitting. So they're they're my favorite team to watch right now. Um, as a Red Sox fan, well, I mean the Red Sox are getting better, uh, but not still me. early, still yeah, early, still way early. So I know we're gonna crash and burn very quickly. So I'm liking I'm liking the uh, Angels right now. But the MLB, so today, the L.A. Dodgers unveiled and gave out uh, their World Series rings, had their World Series celebration. And so far, what we've seen for the first week, is it looking like the Dodgers are going to repeat again as World Series champions? Or is there a team out there that can challenge them this season? definitely think that there is a team that can challenge them. But it's not the MLB. It'd be the Monstars, you know, if they came off Moron Mountain and, you know, took all of the Major League talent out of it. Because there's no one in the NL, and, you know, sorry to all Phillies fans and Mets fans and Reds fans and Cardinals fans, but there's no one in the NL that's going to challenge the Dodgers. Yeah. The Padres, again, early in the season, but they have been underwhelming. Tatis had a, had a pretty scary injury. Turned out to just be a separated shoulder. Mm-hmm. But I do think the L.A. Dodgers are the team to beat because, I mean – 
when you add a Cy Young award-winning pitcher at a at a position that wasn't even a need for them, I mean, they already had Kershaw and Walker Bueller and Gonsolin. Now you add Trevor Bauer. So that's four starters that are all-star caliber, and two of which have won a Cy Young and one has won an MVP. And so they have the best pitching staff in the NL. Again, sorry to, you know, the Padres fans who think they have the best starting rotation in baseball. Still the Dodgers. Yeah. And the Dodgers, again, when you have a lineup, you know, with Max Muncie and Mookie Betts and Bellinger, that's just a dangerous combination, and I don't think anybody in the NL can match it. Yeah, and I think the only one in the entire MLB with that three-man rotation that can even match that. Again, the Angels, um, you know, with Shelly Otani, Mike Trout, and Anthony Rendon right there is their three-man rotation. But even that isn't enough, I think, to match the Dodgers. Um, so I think a team that could, and, you know, I talked about it last week, potentially challenge and rival the Dodgers for the World Series this year. And again, it all depends on health. That's going to be the New York Yankees. Definitely the New York Yankees have the potential. It's just whether they can put the bat on the ball. That is their main problem. They are the home run hitters. They're the Bronx Bombers, which they've been known for forever. But I just don't think they have that consistency to do it. And, you know, Injuries is always the main thing. I think it's not just putting the bat on the ball for the Yankees. It's going to be the injuries. You know, can they keep Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton healthy and these guys you know, in their lineup and, of course, in the rotation? Though those guys don't stay healthy for a full season. I don't think I've ever seen it happen um, in a full season. But speaking of the AL East, Gray, go ahead and have a little celebration here because the O's and the Red Sox right now are currently leading the American League. Uh, the ALEs um, and four and three, very early. Seven games in. <laughs> seven games in. Let's celebrate while we have it. Red Sox and O's there at four and three in the ALEs. So another issue that we saw yesterday in the MLB on Thursday, the New York Mets walked off on a hit by pitch with Conforto, and the ball didn't. I don't care how many replays I see, that ball did not hit him, and it was a strike. Mm -hmm. That was my main issue, was that was a strike on the high inside corner, and he dipped his elbow just a little bit, and you could see that ball just didn't hit him, and it should not have been a win for the New York Mets. Yeah, they kept playing the replay over and over again, slow-mo, you know, frame by frame, how many times we have to see it, the ball never touched him. And I know the Marlins have to be mad. They, I mean, they end up losing the game, of course, on the walk-off, um, hit by pitch, three to two. And that's just baseball, I guess. I mean, that's just the things you're gonna see. And there's always, every week has one of these games where you're like, oh, okay, that's how it's gonna end. And it's like really, it's like really, yeah, that's really. That's what drives me away from the MLB. And you know, all the loyal followers of the Slaw Sports Show know that to be the case. Um, but again, just out of the first week of the, of the season, Gray. How are we feeling about how the uh, MLB season is going to look? Well, I'm feeling great because the Orioles are sitting at four and three and tied for first place in the MLB. The Boston Red Sox, that's right. Because again, we're we were expecting failure, and we're sitting at the top after one week, which is fine by me. But the I, I definitely think again, this is going to be a little bit of Orioles bias, but a player that is not getting the proper love that he deserves is Cedric Mullins right now, who's the center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, and he is just putting up fantastic numbers. He had the best average in the MLB at one time. He ended that Red Sox series going 5-for-5 five five 
and I just think he, you know, he, he's not getting a lot of respect. The Orioles, you know, they have some good prospects. Again, Cedric Mullins batting currently 448 with, let's see here, 13 hits and 29 plate appearances. So he's playing very well right now in that leadoff position. And again, as long as the Orioles can stay on top, as long as they can, I'm just going to sit here just licking my chops, being like, okay, we got, we got people coming up. Ryan Mountcastle, another one. But again, the team that you picked is in the Los Angeles Angels. I've been amazed at how well Shohei, yeah. Shohei Hotani has been. Mm -hmm. He's been, you know, fantastic. And I, and I made this proposition earlier, and I want to hear if you agree with me. Okay. The Angels stop having Hotani be a starting pitcher, and you put him in seven innings as a hitter. And if you're in a good position, you put him in at closer. Yeah, and I think the amount of, like, he's playing, he's had injury troubles in the past, and we already had one little scare this season. I think that'd be great for him not pitching, you know, so often as he is being a starter. And if he comes in and, you know, relieves some games and continues, you know, batting, and then comes in relief, he's still going to be pumping 100-plus like he is as a starting pitcher. And that's going to be, you know, that's going to help him more sustain it for a shorter amount of innings. And just the concern I do have is how it's going to work with the Angels in their starting rotation. You know, taking Otani out and moving him back into the pen and having him come in relief is my one main concern with that. But I can see what you I, I can see why you think that. I mean Otani pumping a hundred out of the pen and you know the fifth or the sixth or the seventh is gonna be great and you still have him in the lineup hitting, you know, right above Mike Trout smashing home runs like he is. So I think it's it could be something that could work out and I also think it'd be something that could work out with Otani and you know keeping him healthy and keeping him, you know, injury-free as we go throughout the season. And I do think the one thing, though, with that situation that I brought up is Otani, again, he's one of the best starting pitchers that they have in a rotation that's not that deep. Yeah, that's, that's my point. Exactly. Exactly. Because, exactly. yeah. you know, you're not going to get by. You're not going to get to a World Series if you got Jose Quintana, Griffin Canning, and Alex Cobb at the back of your rotation. You need somebody else like a Shohei Otani because Bundy and Haney are going to be fine. Yeah. They're, they're good players. But I think, you know, Quintana's past his prime. Griffin Canning hasn't proven enough yet, and Alex Cobb is also past his prime. And the bullpen, also, not that great. Steve Ciszek, who you know is like you know defying father time at the moment, and Rossiel Iglesias coming over with the Reds is a good pickup. I just don't think the Angels, Angels have the pitching to do it. But, you know, if they could get somebody, you know, bring up some prospects or try and trade near the deadline if they're still in good contention, say with the Astros, because that, that's going to be a two-horse race right there in that ALS for that playoff spot. It's going to be the Angels and the Astros because they're already showing great form. And the Rangers, the Mariners, and the A's have been poor this year. So I definitely think that the Angels could get some pitching. Then they're a legitimate ALCS, maybe World Series contender. Yeah, I have to agree with you with you know, pretty much everything you just said there. Uh, so 10 minutes to go here um, just on this episode of the Saw Sports Show. So let's segue out of the MLB and for the final 10 minutes, go to the NFL. This might be the least amount of time we've ever talked about the NFL on the Saw Sports Show, um, but it's, it's been great. Um, so NFL, we talked about it you know, here on the channel, um, but at the beginning of the week, Sam Darnold of the New York Jets has been traded to the Carolina Panthers as their new quarterback, we think, for the 2021 season and beyond. Um, but the Panthers still sitting at eight. Uh, a lot of decisions can be made at that eighth overall pick. If a quarterback starts to slide to eight, if I'm the Panthers, I still don't rule it out. Um, if, you know, Justin Fields or Trey Lance is available or even Mac Jones available to you at eight. 
you take it, be safe, and just have a guy in there in case Sammy doesn't work out. Um, but Sam Darnold was traded for a 2021 third and a 2022 second and a fourth, I believe. So Jets get a great deal back in exchange for Sam Darnold. Got pretty much what they were looking for in that one. And then the Panthers go out um, you know, during the week, and they also sign A.J. Boye at corner to go back alongside Dante Jackson. So sitting at 8, that's what I thought was the window. The 8 to 12 range is where some of these top corners are going to fall off the board. But the Panthers elect to go instead with A.J. Boye, which further my, furthers my narrative that at the 8th overall pick, the Panthers are going to select either Panay Sewell out of Oregon uh, to be, you know, just further build that offensive line around now Sam Darnold. Or instead, you add a playmaker weapon in a Devonta Smith or a Jalen Waddle, and just further rounding out that wide receiver room with uh, Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. So, Craig, I want to get your thoughts just on this trade and what the Panthers are looking like they're going to do at the overall pick. I'm, I'm just very happy for uh, Sam Darnold because now he gets to be with an actual organization that knows how to you know how to play and manage football. Sorry, New York Jets fans, but you know I think this just solidifies the fact that the Jets are you know, going to go quarterback. They're going to most likely take Zach Wilson, who was the the player I'm predicting that they will go with. But with the Panthers specifically, that's the age-old question. I don't think they would, you know, trade, you know, capital for him if they weren't going to give him a shot and they didn't feel like they could get a quarterback of that caliber. Because I feel that they don't think that Fields, Lance, they definitely know that Trevor Lawrence is going to be, he's not going to be there. He's going to go no. But they know Zach Wilson's not going to be there. They know Trey Lance is not going to be there. And they know Fields isn't going to be there. So they're trying to, you know, trade for a young quarterback who they didn't have to give up a lot for. It's a great move by the Panthers because, again, we haven't seen Darnold really in a great situation Mm -hmm. his entire career. But I definitely think that, you know, they go with a playmaker or they go with, like what you said, you know, a Panay Sewell or maybe a Rashawn Slater. Yes, exactly. And, you know, get somebody to protect him or get him another weapon because, again, like you said, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and then a player like Jalen Waddle, or if Devontae Smith, if he falls, then you can get another player like him. And then you pair him with Christian McCaffrey, and that offense is going to look lethal with that defense that they had, or that they built around last year in the draft. And so I definitely think the Panthers improved significantly, because I don't think that head coach Matt Rule wanted specifically to go into an, another season with a rookie quarterback. Because again, Panthers had a pretty underwhelming season last year with the talent that they brought in, but I think if the, you get another year of that defense and then you can add another playmaker, I think the Panthers, you know, definitely just pants the New York Jets on this trade. Yeah, and you know what this tells me uh, from the New York Jets is that they're committed. They're committed to a rookie quarterback. They're committed to the future and they're committed to moving on. They reset the quarterback clock they have on their organization, and the way I look at it, it's it's a lock. I think Zach Wilson is 100% going to the New York Jets at number two overall. I don't think it's going to be anybody else. The talk around the, you know, everything sent around the Jets the last few weeks and you know, the last month especially has been Zach Wilson. They make this trade. I think it's official now. Um, so, But the other thing with the Panthers, I think that's interesting, and it's another side you have to look at it with this trade. Uh, so you talk about the logistics behind it. You know, Maybe you brought up they didn't think a quarterback would fall to eight. But it's more along the lines of they evaluated those quarterbacks and they felt like Sam Darnold was better than what they could get in the draft this year. Because there's some experts out there that have said, I think Mel Kuyper was the one who said, you know, where do you rank Sam Darnold if he was in this year's class? And he said third behind Zach Wilson and behind Trevor Lawrence. So if that's the case, and if that's what the 
the Panthers could also feel that way and feel like Sam Darnold just is better than the quarterbacks that could be available to him at eight. But I think that's an interesting scenario. Um, and it, you know, it, it's over now and it, it happened. Um, and I'm excited to see Sam Darnold outside the Jets organization and with an offensive mastermind calling his plays that Joe Brady is. That's not, thankfully, Adam Gase calling the plays for Sam Darnold. We're really going to see the potential of Sam Darnold come through. And if not, the Panthers can just readdress it next offseason and you know look towards getting a veteran. Um, and whichever one becomes available, you know, Russell Wilson might become available again next year. So it's it's a low risk with a lot of potential, high reward uh, for the Carolina Panthers, in my opinion. And, you know, now they can address the eighth overall pick, a top ten pick, to the rest of their team and just build up, uh, you know, the rest of their roster. And just the other thing I want to mention, um, so upcoming this week ahead on the 14th, we have Justin Fields' his second pro day. And then the week after, on the 19th, we have Trey Lance's second pro day with North Dakota State. And Trey Lance in his first pro day threw 66 passes, completed 58 of them. So a good showcase here for Justin Fields because you look back to his first pro day, it was Mac Jones' second pro day with Alabama. And the 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan and GM John Lynch you know, didn't go to Ohio State's pro day and instead went to Alabama to watch Mac Jones. So now they're in line to look at Justin Fields um, here next week, and they have that option continue to build at the number three overall pick, and of, of course with Trey Lance as well going forward. So the draft, I would say, starts at three, but we know it's a quarterback, so in my opinion, it starts at four. And I think that, you know, this, this is the draft, because we haven't seen three quarterbacks taken one, two, three since 1999 which is before either of our times. Yeah. I think the first four go with quarterbacks based on which one is there. And do you think it's going to be Atlanta or do you see a trade there at number four? I see Atlanta. Okay. Because, again, you have an Aaron Rodgers-Brett Favre situation where you still have two years of Matt Ryan left. Mm-hmm. But Matt, ever since the 28-3 to blown lead, Matt Ryan just hasn't been the same and the Falcons haven't been the same. And we saw them last year blowing every lead they looked at. And so I think, you know, if a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance is there, specifically Justin Fields, I'm very high on Justin Fields. I think he's got, you know, great size, great arm strength. He's got unbelievable athleticism. If you pair him, you know, with a Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, you can make something happen. But I think if it's Trey Lance, then they're going to trade out. Yeah. And so I think if the number three pick comes along and they select Trey Lance, then I think they take Justin Fields. But if Justin Fields goes three – then I think that I think they trade out of there. Okay. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about this, Ray, because going forward, looking to April 29th, Thursday, draft night, the NFL kicks off the first round that night, and we will cover it live here on the Sauce Sports Show with Gray Ost being our commissioner and Matt Laguza joining me on the analyst live for our NFL first round analysis breakdown. We'll be here to cover it. That's all the time we have here on the Salt Sports Show. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you to those who joined in on YouTube Live. And we'll stream every episode of the Salt Sports Show on YouTube at Salt Sports Show. So you can always check out the shows live uh, if you don't want to wait for them to come out or you know hear it on the radio to see us live and in person. But that's all the time we have for uh, this week's episode. So again, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you for listening. And until next time, peace.